Let's, uh, no, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 24. 15 to 24. Ephesians chapter uh, 1, verse 15 to 24. And we're going to read what's commonly known as Paul's prayer in Ephesians. He wrote uh, a few different prayers, and uh, you can find them in the New Testament. Uh, in his letters, but this one is what we're going to center on today. And this is the first sermon in a series that we're actually going to be looking at for the next few weeks, uh, just for four weeks in February, especially in Ephesians, and then we're going to spend a chunk of time on the armor of God. That's our plan. So let's read the scripture together, uh, either on your mobile device or on, in the book itself, Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us, who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's just say for a second that you are going through a time of struggle and, and that you, everything seems to be going wrong and you feel like your life is just a series of, of spinning plates. That, I don't know if you've the old circus performers, you know, you had a, a pole with a plate and you'd spin it and, and then you'd have lots and lots on the go and then just as you got this one going, then this one would start to wobble and you'd have to run and spin that one and it was just this chaotic picture of just running around from problem to problem, from struggle to struggle. And so what we do as a culture is we say this, you need more effective tools on how to spin plates better. Maybe you try this technique, or maybe you should stop doing this, or maybe you should just you know, concentrate on five or six plates at a time and not worry about those other ones, but then you're thinking, hang on, what's going to happen with those other ones? And so as a culture and as a society, we just teach you how to spin plates better. The reality is, is that the struggle and the chaos that follows doesn't actually get dealt with. Maybe for a few days you feel good about yourself because you've read the book or watched the DVD or you listen to some advice, but those plates just still wobble. They still are chaotic. It's still a struggle. The Ephesian church at this time and the number of churches that this, this letter would have been given to to read out was going through a tremendous amount of struggle, a real challenge in their culture. The, they had political issues. They had financial issues. They had problems within the church. And what's really interesting about this prayer is as they've got all these spinning plates, if you like, Paul does not come along with any answer as to how to spin the plates better. What he does is he shifts their focus off the spinning plates onto something else. And so what we do in our lives, and what I, want us to, what, we, what I want you to see this morning in Paul's prayer, is Paul is saying, look, here's how you deal with the spinning plates. 
You don't deal with them. That's not your focus. It's not that these things aren't important. We'll come to that in a minute. But your focus has to be on something else. Now, that's easy said. You know, if I, if I put a pen right in front of your face and just kind of moving the pen around in front of your face and say, hey, just ignore the pen. Don't worry about the pen. Ooh, don't, don't look at the pen. And it's right there. That's an impossible thing. For me to say, oh, don't worry about all those spinning plates, it's an impossible thing. So what Paul does is he gives us something else to focus on. He says, look, you need to know this thing. You know this, then these are all put into the correct perspective. I think about the church in the last four years, and I think about the different things that different members of the church have gone through. And each time, really, my answer is often the same. It's not that we don't have advice and there aren't practical things you can do to try and spin the plates. But my answer as a pastor is always this, similar to Paul, is you need to know these things. If you can know these things, then all the spinning plates become into into perspective. Paul comes with a completely different answer. He makes something, his prayer is, you need to put something else as your center, not that thing. Now let me just qualify it. I'm not saying these spinning plates aren't important. These might be tremendous centers of angst and pain and frustration and and issues. So I'm not belittling them. It could be anything from what's going on in your family to a health issue or a desperate desire for a certain prayer to be answered. All these things are, are important, but Paul still says, look, I'm not going to pray that the emperor gets changed for you, Ephesus. I'm not going to pray that you get more wealth. I'm not going to pray that you get more health. I'm not going to pray that all these issues get taken away. Here's what I am going to pray for. And so what he's doing is he's presenting to us what our focus should be, what our, what our center should be, what, our, what we need to know. He rises above the immediate and takes us to an eternal perspective and says this. Listen, everyone. You get this, then all these other things, all these other things get righted. Do they get changed? Not necessarily, but get righted when it comes to your view of them. That you can literally rise above everything. And I mean, in the Greek, everything means everything, all things. You can rise above them because your focus and attention and knowledge is in something else. This is an exciting, I've been so excited, can you tell, to, to preach this this week because it's helped me so much. So let's go. First, I'm going to preach fast for the first little bit because we've got some work to do. Number one, where does Paul start? He says this, the first thing he wants us to know is that we need to know what it means to be a Christian. Verse 15 to 16, it says, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So who's this prayer for? For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. He's saying, there's a reason why I'm praying. The reason is I've heard of your faith and your good works and your love. Just as a throw-out question, community group leaders, this might be a good question to ask. What do people say about you? Because Paul had heard of their faith. It was apparent. What do people say about you? I'm not going to dig into that, but it's just an interesting thought. See, our culture says, 
Sorry, Paul, Paul had heard two things. First of all, about their faith. Our culture says it doesn't matter what you believe. It's how, what you do in life that's most important. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe whatever you want. It's what you do in life that is most important, which is why the first question often people ask you is, what do you do? It's a very important part of our culture because it gives us significance. It gives us a place. It gives us popularity. It gives us power. It gives us, gives us finance. It's a very important. What do you do? I don't care what you believe. What do you do? And so here's what the Bible does. The Bible, God says this. I don't care what you do. I want to know what you believe. Now, you just suddenly went, did you just say God doesn't care about what we do? I'm going to come to that. The primary focus in God's eyes, as it says in the scripture, is what do you believe? I can control your actions and your decisions by building up a certain set of beliefs in your mind. Now, if I worked hard at making you believe that there was something really horrible, Something really horrible in that room. Let's say I could make you believe that that room was absolutely infested by black widow spiders. Some of you are already freaking out. I didn't have to work hard at all. Some of you are like, I'm not even going in there because even though I think I, he's joking, I, I'm still. So some of you are really easy. Other ones of you, I could, I'd have to work hard. But if I changed your belief about what was going on in that room, it would affect your decision and actions, right? You would think twice about going in there. Some of you are just like, I want to get out right now. Your actions and your decisions will always follow what you believe. Always, always, always. And that's why the Bible says what you believe determines who you are and how you live. Which is why it's primary focus in the scriptures. So let me give you another example. If you believe that success is the most important thing, all your actions and your decisions will be pointed towards that belief. What you do, how you treat other people, what decisions you make, where you go, everything gets pointed towards that belief that success is paramount. Maybe it's something else. You desperately want to be liked. That you, you believe people don't like you, perhaps. So your decisions and beliefs and your actions will follow that decision. Which is why the Bible says it's faith that pleases God, not works. So your actions follow your belief. Your actions follow your belief. God is most interested in what you believe because that will determine what your actions are. See, he doesn't give you a long list of things to do so much first, which is, by the way, what other religions do. Do this and you'll be accepted. God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, okay, Jesus doesn't say, okay, do these things and you'll be accepted. He says, have faith in me and you'll be accepted. And then these things will follow. So you can work hard, do good, give, love, care, be generous, be kind, be merciful, be graceful, be all these wonderful things. None, please hear, none of them are going to make you be accepted by God. Not one of them. Faith in Jesus Christ is what allows you to be connected with God that then results in this whole other list of good things. Faith is the most important thing. What you believe. 
And what the Bible does and what Paul does and what God does is he gives us somebody to believe in called Jesus Christ. He gives us somebody to believe in called Jesus Christ. So it's not this kind of conceptual idea. He says, no, just look at this person who hung on the cross for you. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. You want to see how loving he is? Look to Jesus. You want to see how merciful he is? Look to Jesus on the cross, taking your sin and your shame and, 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 and dying with you. You want, to, you want to see what God's like? Look to Jesus. He gives us somebody to believe in. What do you believe in? Do you believe in your own actions? Do you believe in the goodness of man? You only need to spend a few minutes in our culture to know that there, there's some good things, but there's no goodness. Do you believe in your good deeds? Are you putting your faith in what you can do? Or are you putting your faith on one who promises forgiveness and freedom and knowing that these things will follow? Because the second thing Paul says is that the actions are also important. He says, I've heard about your lives. Second point, that your, your lives Many good things follow being a Christian, but friends, don't make you a Christian. Um, there's proof in the tasting. There's proof of your Christianity in your life, Paul says. So there's faith, and then there's love. There's good deeds. That's what the Scripture says in verse 15, 16. He says, a love for all the saints. So there's evidence. So we can't say, oh, well, I can just be a Christian, believe in Jesus, and live whatever way I want. No. There's evidence, there's taste. Um, the other day, I, I've been really trying hard to, to eat healthily, and apparently you have to eat a lot of green stuff when you do that. Um, especially, and most green stuff I don't actually enjoy. I, you know, I think sprouts are just, they're just straight from Satan. And, um, you know, broccoli I can cope with. Apart from cooked broccoli when it goes cold, that's just evil too. And, you know, I made this list of things green. And so I'm like, I'm going to have some broccoli. It was good. And, it was, and, I, and I made it. And it was steaming hot. And I, and, I, and I just have it in a sieve to just to clean it off. And, and I just foolishly put it into the sink and turned to do something else on the, on the, on the cooker. You don't call it, what do you call it? Stove. So I'm, I'm there. And then I turn around and I see that Jack is washing his hands over my... Broccoli, like soap, like fair dues on it. It was like just covered in soap suds, hand soap. So, I, you know, my immediate reaction is, whoa, dude, what are you doing? And he gets a little bit upset. Oh, it's, it's fine. So I, I rinse it off, and I rinse it and rinse it and rinse it, and I, and I spend a long time rinsing it, and I taste a bit, and it's fine. And I'm like, okay, slap it on my plate. I go over to the dining room table, and, and I sit down, and I start eating, and I get to the biggest bit, and I put it in my mouth. Oh, my goodness. It reminded me of the time where I... When I swore my mum made me eat soap when I was a kid, it was just an immediate, oh, this is so gross. It looked good, but tasted gross. We can look good, but taste gross. We can do the right things, and yet our taste, our life is gross. And so Paul is saying, if there is no evidence of change, you're not a Christian. Now, it's gradual change, but if there's no evidence, you're not in. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you're not in. You might go, well, Glenn, that's very, very exclusive. 
Well, Jesus is exclusive. He is the only way. That's very arrogant of you. Because the world isn't that way. The world is inclusive. Really? The world is inclusive. The world just accepts everybody and loves on everybody and just invites everybody in because that's what Jesus does. He says, all of you who want this, come. So Paul is saying you've got to have faith and you've got to have practice. Why is it this way around? Why isn't it practice first that leads to Jesus accepting us? Because we get proud. We get self-righteous. We get judgmental of people who aren't just like us. That the better we get, the worse people seem to get. And we get judgmental. It never leads to good. But when we actually focus on Jesus and it comes the other way around, then we remember that we, were, we are only sinners saved by grace as well. So that's for who this prayer is for. It's for those who have faith and with practices following. Secondly, what is it that Paul is saying we need to know? Okay, let's jump in. There are three things this passage tells us that Paul needs to know. Let's, let's read them. Verse 17. He prays this. He's asking God for a revelation that they would know this. So this is Paul saying, guys, this is what you need to know in order to lift up above and reign in life. You need to know, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He's praying that you will have this revealed to you. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, not just your minds, but your actual inner self, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's the first thing. What are the riches, second, of the glorious inheritance in the saints? And thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards his, us who believe? So the first thing is he's saying that we may know the hope of his calling. I want you to notice something, that if you don't remember anything else from my sermon this morning, if you remember this, this will change your life. Notice, whose calling is it? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It's God's calling. He's calling you to himself. This is not your calling. This is God's calling calling. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 29, this is Paul again. Listen to what he says. For consider your calling. What he's actually saying is the calling God has given you. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. The call, God called those who were foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You are a Christian not because you are smart, not because you have money, not because you have been born in the right country, not because you have the brains or the popularity or the position. You are a Christian. We've just read it because God chose you. Period. End of paragraph. End of chapter. End of book. Done. Now that intellectually causes us some problems. I accept that. However, that is what the Bible says. Because he says this, despite of who you are, I've chosen you. 
Paul is saying that there is great hope in knowing that God chose you. That in the midst of all the filth and all the challenge and all the sin and all the shame and the difficulty, he looks at you and says, I love that person. I want him. I want her. He chose you. He loves you. And Paul uses the word hope, which means confidence and assurance. You see, he's saying this. If you you can reign in life, if you understand this truth that says this, that God chose you. If you can understand that God loves you and chose you and that you are his kid, you are his beloved, that he looks at you and he sees what his son did on the cross and his heart swells in the same way that when you look at your kid and they're fast asleep and it's quiet and you're like, oh, thank you, God, they're asleep. You look at them and you go, oh, I love that. I love them. Look at them. God is in heaven pulling angels around. Come look, come look. Yes, him. And the angels are going, really? Yes. Look at her. She's exactly what I planned. She's exactly the way she should be. Yes, she's struggling. Yes, she has things in her life that by my grace and by my power will be dealt with in my time. But she's my child. I chose her. If we can see that's the way that God looks at us, you've changed the way we live. It's not because you're powerful and wise and good and that you've given so much money to charity and given so many, you know, things away and, you you know, you love. It's not because of that. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. On your worst day, he loves you. I've said this to you before. You can get up in the morning. Let's say you get up tomorrow morning, Christians, four o'clock. You're like, wow, I just feel so holy. You drink your eight glasses of water like the doctor tells you you should. Pop some vitamins and supplements. You sit down and you praise him. You've got worship. You've got Jesus culture going on in the background and you are singing on key, my friend. You have hands up. You're reading the Bible. The Bible comes alive. You're journaling. Journaling just pages and pages. It's rich. It's powerful. You slap open your Matthew Henry commentary. You're like, man, I'm getting the revelation of Paul himself in my life. You walk into your day. Everything seems to go right. The parking spaces appear. Your boss is nice. Your bank account is healthy. It's just wonderful. There's a short checkout line in Canadian Superstore. There's not one of those people with more than 12 items in the cart right in front of you. Because that really... Just everything's perfect. And you go, wow, God loves me. And then the next morning, you wake up at 8 o'clock, late for work. And you just can't even find your Bible. Even if you could, you don't want to read it. You're not interested in listening to music. You put some, like, you know, I don't know, Black Sabbath on. Because that kind of matches your mood right now. Somebody crashes into the back of you on the way to work, you struggle with temptations all day, you get angry, you kick your dog, you just, uh, everything just goes wrong. Your kid puts soap on broccoli. Can I say that God loves you just as much that day, accepts you just as much, cares for you just as much, chooses you just as much as the day before when you felt like you and the archangel Gabriel were like this, hey bro, And the next day, you just feel like you and Lucifer are like this. He loves you just as much. Because his love is not based on you and your actions. His love is based on what Jesus did and his actions. 
So you can walk into the world with that sense of hope. You don't have judgment for other people because you look at people who you would ordinarily judge as being worse than you and struggling more than you. And you look at them and you don't have any judgment because you recognize that God chose you and he could choose them. And so you can pray for them. We walk into these 21 days of, for the city with a hope because he saved you. Therefore, he can save them as well. Because if he accepted you, he can accept them as well. It gives us tremendous hope. And Paul is saying, you need to know this. You need a revelation for this. Secondly, he says, you need to know his glorious inheritance. It says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Notice, it doesn't say, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance? It's his glorious inheritance. What do you buy somebody who has everything? I read the other day that um, there's an... uh, how do I explain this? There is an equal effect on my overall wealth as an average North American person. Buying a soda for a dollar and something like dollar twenty, whatever it might be, or since the currency rate is probably about eight bucks now, I don't know. But a dollar, a dollar twenty, let's say, there's an equal amount of effect on my overall wealth as there is Bill Gates going and spending one point three million dollars. Think about that. He can spend $1.3 million in the same thought as you can spend on a soda. Well, me. I don't want to judge. Maybe maybe it's different from you, but you get the picture? What do you get, Bill Gates? What do you give him to say, there you go, Bill? And he's like, I've always wanted this. This is my greatest treasure. This is all I've ever wanted. I've never been able to get it. Thank you. What, What do you get him? Forget Bill. What's God's greatest treasure? What's his greatest inheritance? What makes him go, yes, thank you? The Bible tells us right here. It does. Let me say it again. You and me as Christians, the Bible tells us, are his greatest treasure. Now you go, hang on, it's not all about me, Glenn. You've told me that a lot, and it's not. But God looks at you as his inheritance. Look at verse 23 in the same passage. He says, he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, that's you and me, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we are his fullness. The word fullness means amazingly, fulfillment. It's that God has so linked himself to you and me that he shows, he's chosen to show his world, the, the world, his glory, his beauty, his love through us. He's linked to, it's it's like we're his fullness. Let me give you an an illustration to help explain this. Um, When your kid does something really, really well and gets a prize, As a parent, everything just puffs and swells. You're like, you have to control yourself to not go, yes, my kid, ha, look. No, is that just me? Because every parent's like, I I have to just keep this low because there's two things nobody likes. Nobody likes a keener and nobody likes a a show-off parent. So you have to kind of keep it calm, but everything inside of you, it's like your kid becomes your fullness that you're just excited to be connected, that you just swell up. When your kid gets an award, you just can't help it. 
And at the same time, when your kid fails, you feel it too. It's because we're connected. We're linked. It's like they're our fulfillment. And we try and control it, but we, we, we can't. We don't choose it. It just happens. When they're tiny, they roll over and you're like, yeah, that kid is so creative. He's best looking, smart. It's three weeks old. I, smart. It's bright. Have you seen it? It's just that everything swells because we're linked to our child. God is exactly the same. We are linked to God. God gets this pleasure, this joy out of his saints. And you know what's really fun? You're a saint. Saint Glenn. Please don't call me St. Glenn. I shouldn't have said that because I know you a lot well enough that that's exactly what's going to happen. But you don't have to go through this whole rigmarole like the Catholic Church do this where they spend years and years deciding whether or not you're a saint. The Bible actually says you're a saint. You're a saint. St. John. That makes sense. Probably, probably better at St. Anacelia. That makes more sense. But he gets his inheritance from you. I actually uh, talked about this and kids being our glory. Uh, I, I remembered when I was in America last time seeing, we don't see it so much in, in Canada, if at all, the stickers that you put on, your, on the bumper stickers. I'm the proud parent of an honor roll student at Am McClellan Elementary School. You know, those kind of stickers, have you seen those? Do they make you want to shunt the car in front? Like I said, nobody likes a keener and nobody likes a really proud parent. I saw some others, though, that made me laugh. My kid tutored your honor roll student. I'm the parent of the student who can bench press your honor roll student. I like that. (laughs) And then the one that made me kind of mad again, my dog made the honor roll student at Doggy Academy. You know, God has decided that, listen, please, that you are his beauty that you are his representative, that you are his love to this broken world. David Marshall and I were chatting a few months ago about this idea of, again, and I mentioned it in a preach, that you are the closest that some people are going to come to reading the Bible. You are the closest that some people are going to come to knowing what Jesus is like. God has linked himself to us like that. We are in his inheritance. And Paul is saying, I need you to know this. Because if you knew that he chose you, and if you knew that he was in his inheritance, I'm not doing a thing. Okay, can we, can we go over to the handheld? Would that still record? Okay, well, let's, let's just carry on and see if it still does what it's doing. If we knew these two things, it's not working, is it? It is? Okay, let's carry on. If we knew these two things, See, this is what I kind of think, that we have an enemy that kind of just wants to interrupt and attack and just makes me godly angry. I'll just yell it. If we knew these two things, if we understood that you are chosen and that there's hope and you understood that you are in his inheritance and his beauty and his love to a broken world, it would change the way we see our own lives and the lives of those people around us. Thirdly, really quickly, he says, you need to know who's called you. You need to know who your, his inheritance is, and it's you. And he says, you need to know the incomparable power. The verse says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe? 
Can you need to know, Paul is praying that you need to understand how powerful the God is that lives in you. That when you approach a situation or a challenge and you feel helpless and you feel weak and you feel like completely incapable, like that's when God steps in and says, yes, my power, my might, my ability, my spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you, lives in you, that when you walk into the world, when you walk into your office, it's like the saloon doors opening. Power of God. Do you think that way? That'd kind of fun, wouldn't it? Go into the world tomorrow and actually think, okay, I'm chosen by God Almighty. I am in His treasure and I am filled with His power. That changes your thoughts when it comes to life. It changes your thoughts when it comes to telling somebody about Jesus. It changes your thoughts when it comes to church because church now becomes a celebration of that. It's available and towards you. He is able So how do we know this? How do we step into this prayer? Because Paul is praying this. and He's saying, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be enlightened, that they might know these three things. Their hope that you've called them to, that you've chosen, that they would know that that they are your treasure and that they would know the power. How do we connect with this today? How do we get into this? How do we walk away going, okay, I know that we need to focus on Jesus and we need to celebrate and praise him. But what is it on the top of that? Should I be, what can I be doing in my life? What is it that the Holy Spirit is giving me the ability to do to connect into this? It says in uh, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. First of all, you need to know that it's a work of the Holy Spirit that reveals this to you. But we can position ourselves, let me say again, it's a work of the Holy Spirit that reveals these three things to you, that makes these three three things grow, that makes these three things become part of your life. But we can position ourselves in such a way where that work of the Holy Spirit is, is far more part of our lives rather than in being resisted. So if you are filling, hear me, if you are filling your life with things that are completely contrary to what is good and pure and holy and things that are actually bringing goodness to your life, then the Holy Spirit is not going to swell up inside of you and reveal these things to you. The Bible actually says there's a, there's a pushing away. There's a positioning away. So how do we position ourselves where we say, Holy Spirit, come, reveal these things to me. Let them, let them just explode in my mind and my heart and my spirit. That I can walk into the world knowing I'm chosen, that I'm a treasure, that I have power. How do we do that? How do we position ourselves? Really, really simple. I want to encourage you this week to read this prayer every day. Read this prayer every day and pray it with Paul for yourself and for your own life. How simple is that? That you read this prayer and you do it and you personalize it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the faith that I have in you that was initiated by you because you chose me. 
And I, don't give, I, I, I do not cease to give thanks for you. And you go through this passage that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, may give me a spirit of wisdom and the revelation and knowledge of him. Have, let, Lord, my eyes be enlightened that I might know what is the hope of the calling that you have given me, that I might understand and personalize it. Then get your journal out and reflect on the passage. Maybe ask yourself some questions. What would life look like if I actually had this happen in my life? Memorize it. Soak into it. Meditate. Chew on it. Ask God. And I tell you, if you were to do that for a week, I promise you that you will finish the week feeling far more chosen treasured and powerful than you would at the beginning of the week. And then when it comes to those spinning plates, you can pull back from them and go, okay, Lord, I'm chosen, I'm treasured, and I'm powerful. Now, that is not because of anything I've done, Jesus. It's because of everything you have done. You know the issues. You know the situation. And our focus becomes Him. Maybe some Plates that you don't need to be spinning suddenly stop spinning and crash to the floor and you don't care anyway because they probably don't need to be in your life. But I wonder if we did those two things, if we prayed it with Paul and we reflected on the passage and we went into our week thinking, meditating, chewing, write it down, put it as your screensaver on your phone, put it on a piece of paper, slap it on the mirror, wherever you want to do. This isn't some mantra that you're chanting like some medicinal magic medicine. This is meditating on the Word of God in a way that David and all the saints in the Bible did. Get to know Jesus through His Scripture. I was excited to preach this this morning because it gives tremendous hope to everybody. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you're a Christian that just like feels like five minutes, whether you don't know Jesus yet, it gives you hope that as we turn to the cross, And we come to communion in just a second and we remember the death and the sacrifice of Jesus and his love that he did it because you are chosen. We come and we worship that this is just a beautiful start to it. And as we take communion this morning and and encourage you as we as we um, as we sing in just a second to come at any time in those in that song to come and take communion. And maybe that's your start. Say, Lord, you read through that passage again. You just say, Lord, thank you. Praise you, Jesus, for your death. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Let's close our eyes. I have a prayer for you. I often do this in my own time. This is how I pray for the church, the Willow Park South, for you. Dear God, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you have kept it alive in difficult times in its history. I thank you, Jesus, for the people that you have placed here. I thank you, Lord, for their faith in you. I thank you, Lord, for their love for one another. I thank you, Jesus, that they are chosen. But Lord, I pray that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they would know what is the hope to which you have called them, that they would know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, that, Lord, that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards them. That same power, God, 
that you worked in Jesus and raised him from the dead where he is sat right now at your right hand. Thank you, Jesus. That same power that was made available to you has been made available to us. And Lord, my prayer is for those who don't know you in this room, that Holy Spirit, that you would be drawing them to yourself right now. That even in the middle of communion, that God, that they would be surrendering and submitting their life to you. God, let us have that revelation, I pray. Father, as we move towards the 21 days, Lord, let that be the most significant period of time that this church has ever experienced. Because, Lord, we're focusing on wanting to receive a revelation from you and praying into that. So, Lord, as we come to communion right now, and we thank you and praise you, Lord, for what it represents. And as we sing, and as we share with one another, that the reality of your death, your sacrifice for us, and the power in your resurrection be real to us once again this morning. Praise your name, Jesus.